Well, open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the New Testament toward the back in 1 Peter chapter 5. And we are continuing the series that I began three weeks ago called The Invisible Battle. And we're discussing ways that the demonic seeks to entrap you and rob you of your destiny. Now, I realize that not a lot of churches talk about the demonic these days. I know it's a little bit of an uncomfortable subject for some people, but this is a very real part of um, living in this world and certainly a very real part of our existence in Christ. This is something that we have to understand as well because it's all over the Bible. So... When you find 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would stand with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of God's word. It's a very short one this morning, just a couple of verses, verses 8 and 9. So it says this, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. Well, I'm going to lead off with some questions this morning, if I may. Kind of set the tone for where I'm going with this. By a show of hands, how many would acknowledge that there is a kingdom of darkness and that demons are real? By a show of hands, okay, that's almost all of you. Those that didn't raise your hands need to read your Bible. <laughs> okay. Uh, how many of you then would acknowledge that uh, demons harass people, even Christian people? Okay. That's about all of you as well. Okay. So then how many of you would also acknowledge that God has given us the spiritual equipment to come against Satan and overcome him? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, the reason I ask those questions is that there are circles in the body of Christ today that don't believe that we should be talking about demons very much. Their belief is that we should focus on Jesus. And, you know, I would not disagree with that. I think that we need to focus on Jesus, too. But our key concept number one this morning that you can write down, fill in the blank there in your your bulletins, our key concept number one is that if our focus is going to be on Jesus, then... We have to obey his command to do the works that he did. Would you agree with that? See, Jesus said in John 14, 12, that the works that he did, we will do also. And even greater works than these. Well, what's one of the things that Jesus went around doing? Well, 1 John 3, 8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. My translation of that is that Jesus went around terrorizing the devil and undoing his evil works. And he's called you and me to do the same thing. Now, in case some of you don't believe that last statement, that he's called us to do the same, let's read a little bit out of Jesus' great commission in Luke 16. Now, let me say this before I read this. Most people, when they think about the great commission, they think about going and preaching the gospel and winning souls. That is a very important part of the Great Commission, but it's only a part. It's only one part. Let's read the whole thing. Verse 15, and he, meaning Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's where most people like to stop. But that's only the beginning part of the Great Commission. 
Verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay, let's keep reading. Here's the key verse for today's teaching, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. It's very interesting that the very first thing he says in terms of the signs that will accompany those who believe is in my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, meaning that if you happen to be near a serpent and it strikes you, um, it will not hurt you. If they drink deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover or be made well. So that is the fullness of the Great Commission right there. Why do, we, why do we just stop at verse 15? I find that a lot of Christians want to lower the Word of God to match their experience or their inexperience, rather than elevating our experience to match what the Word of God says. So please note, in fact, that every time that Jesus sent out His disciples on a missionary assignment, His primary instructions to them were to do what? Cast out demons and heal the sick every time, without fail. Read it in the Bible, without fail. And on one of those occasions, the disciples came back and said, Master, even the demons submit to us in your name. Folks, this is a much bigger issue, a much bigger part of uh, our assignment as Christians than most American churches care to admit. I want to say that again. This is a much bigger part of our assignment as Christians than most American churches care to admit because it's an uncomfortable subject. Right? Folks, listen. Yes, yes, ma'am. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for that correction. Mark 16. Mark 16, not Luke 16. Sorry about that. Um, thank you. Now, I want to add to those thoughts that in this sterilized American church environment that we live in these days, there's a little bit of controversy over what I'm teaching in this series on demons and the demonic and what have you. And yes, I've seen the YouTube channels and I've seen the online talking heads try to denounce what I'm teaching today, the, these concepts that I'm teaching, but none of their arguments are very good ones. They, they're all weak arguments. Um, and I would just challenge anyone listening online or even anyone here, I just would respectfully challenge anyone to show me how what I'm teaching today is not biblical. I mean, give me chapter and verse. See, this shouldn't be controversial because what I can assure you that 100% of what I'm teaching on this subject is from the Word of God. And notice again that this passage says these signs will accompany those who believe. Now, what can we deduce from that? Well, we could easily make the case if we wanted to that if these signs are not accompanying those who say that they're Christians, maybe they're not really in the faith after all. At the very least, we can say that if we're not actively pursuing helping people get free from demonic entanglements, we're certainly not keeping all of the Great Commission. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah. And a very important distinction here, by the way, is that deliverance from demons is for people who are willing to repent. 
I want to make this distinction because deliverance is for God's people. It's not available to those who have no desire to serve him. So then, if we're going to have victory over the darkness, we have to do five things. Look at the screen, and you can fill in the blank here in your bulletin as well. First of all, and the most obvious one, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, have, you can have no victory over the demonic unless you're actually in the faith following Christ. Secondly, know who we are in Christ. You have to understand your authority, your right standing in Christ. Amen? I mean, all five of these points, I could do actually an entire sermon on all five of these points, but I'm just kind of bullet pointing these really quickly. Thirdly, live in close fellowship with him. If you're not living in close fellowship with him, you're not going to really understand who you are in Christ and understand your right standing in him. Fourthly, understand and exercise our authority in him. Did you know that Jesus has delegated his authority in the earth to you and me? Did you know that? So we have to understand that and exercise our authority. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that this morning, but that's a very expansive subject right there that I don't have to have time to get into real deeply this morning. But that's a very under, uh, important understanding there, is knowing and exercising our authority in him. And then lastly, discern the battle that we are in and engage in it. Engage in it. On that note, folks, as... The title of this series implies the invisible battle. We have to have an understanding of that invisible battle and, and how it rages around us for not only your soul and mine, but also our loved ones. My friend and mentor, Dr. Jerry King, wrote in his book something along these lines I think is very important to consider this morning. So I'm going to read this whole quote to you. He states this, though we wish it were different, St. Paul made it clear that our becoming a part of the kingdom of God did not exempt us from the war with the other kingdom. Craftily, the enemy has invaded our worship expressions. We hear the song poets declare, the battle's over, the work is done. Wistfully, much of the church seeks a world without conflict, though that will someday occur it is simply not true now. It's clear that the battle still rages. Now, let me say something, folks, that will bring some clarity on this. Yes, Jesus did undo the curse when he died on the cross and raised from the dead. Jesus undid the curse. I want to be very clear about that. But we have to appropriate what he's accomplished, you see. See, for example... Um, we know that, that Jesus saved us from the curse of sin. But how many of you have sinned since you've been in Christ? Okay. We know that Jesus took the punishment for our healing. But how many of you have been sick since you became a Christian? Yeah. Likewise, it's clear that Jesus won a decisive victory over the forces of darkness and over every curse. Praise God. But we have to exercise the authority that he's delegated to us in order to enforce his kingdom. Are you with me so far? See, it's clear that there's still curses that are in operation in the earth. And it's up to us to appropriate the victory that Jesus secured. Amen? Now, that one line there about much of the church seeks a world without conflict, folks, that is spot on. See, we as Christians really prefer neutrality, don't we? And that's exactly how most Christians live their lives. But you know what? 
Listen, bullies are never content with neutrality. I'm going to say that again. Bullies, whether in the physical sense or in the spiritual sense, bullies are never content with neutrality. It's a bit like the neutrality that America wanted to maintain when World War I broke out. So let me give you a little history lesson to illustrate my point here. When World War I broke out across Europe in 1915, President Woodrow Wilson declared that the United States would remain neutral, and many Americans supported that policy. But public opinion about neutrality began to change when a German U-boat sank a British ocean liner by the name of the Lusitania. Almost 1,200 people died in that attack, including 128 Americans. And there's a picture of the uh, newspaper article that came out when that tragedy happened. Even so, President Wilson still stayed neutral. But the neutrality did not keep the peace because Germany, much like Satan, would not allow a sleeping dog to just lie there, as the saying goes. See, Germany went on to torpedo and sink dozens of American and British merchant ships and passenger ships in the months that followed. And these were not warships. They were unarmed. The nail in the coffin, so to speak, was in 1917 when the British intercepted and deciphered an encrypted message from the German foreign minister attempting to get Mexico to side with them and take up arms against the U.S. So it was only then that after massive loss of innocent lives and after the threat of war on our own soil that President Wilson finally gave in and entered World War I. So... World War I gives gives us a little bit of a glimpse and a little bit of a parallel into the war in the spiritual world. You see, it's really impossible to remain neutral when there's a maniac on the loose bent on destroying you. It's kill or be killed. You better fight or you're likely to die. So on that note, that leads us to key concept number two this morning, and that's this. Predators always prey on the weak or unaware. I'm going to say that again. Predators, whether they be predators in the animal kingdom or people or spiritual predators, always prey on the weak or unaware. See, going back to our master text, be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we have to learn to resist him in the faith. So on that note, since we're in this war, we have to recognize the movements and tactics of the enemy. So we're going to continue with this list that we began in our first two teachings in this series by identifying different kinds of demonic spirits mentioned in the Bible so that you can be watching out for them and so that you know how to deal with them. And the first one that we're going to deal with this morning, we'll deal with only two this morning, is the spirit of bondage mentioned in Romans 8.15. The spirit of bondage. Well, what is that? Well, bondage is a type of trap that you can't get out of. You get yourself entangled. Think of an animal that, that puts his foot in a trap like that, pictured on the screen, and now they can't move. Now they can't, they can't they're in bondage. Okay, so that's what, that's kind of the the picture of that spirit of bondage mentioned in Romans 8.15. So what are some of the manifestations of that spirit of bondage? Well, first of all, religious bondage. 
or tradition. You know, Mark 7, 8, Jesus told the Jews, uh, especially the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the, the scribes, he said, you have made the word of God of none effect because of your tradition. He was talking to religious people, okay? You've made the word of God of none effect because of your tradition. So there is a religious bondage that we have to watch out for. Again, I'm not going to go into any one of these in deep detail, but this is all kind of a... You know, that religious spirit of bondage or that spirit of bondage is kind of an umbrella term for these manifestations that I'm showing you right now. The second manifestation is compulsive behavior, bondage to sin, and addictions. Compulsive behavior, bondage to sin, and addictions. Let, let me say this. If you have any kind of addiction, compulsive behavior or addiction, you likely have help, meaning demonic help. You likely have company helping you out with that. And, and the reason I say that is because demons love addiction. Why do I say that? Because addiction violates Romans chapter 6, which says that we should not be mastered by anything. So again, if there's any kind of addiction in your life or any kind of compulsive behavior or bondage to sin, in other words, you've got this sin pattern in your life, and you just can't seem to get past it. You fasted, you prayed, you memorized the scriptures, but it just keeps cropping back up. You just can't seem to get past this thing that could be a spirit that's behind that, a spirit of bondage that you need to get free from. There's also the fear of death mentioned in Hebrews 2.15 that's under that umbrella term, the spirit of bondage, or the, yeah, spirit of bondage, fear of death. And then also fears, panic attacks, cowardice, and phobias mentioned in those passages that I have on the screen for you. That is all under the spirit of bondage. Now, by the way, how do you get free from some of these things? Well, I do believe that sometimes getting with a brother or sister in Christ to, to take you through some prayers and, and some renouncements of some things can certainly help. That's where James 5.16 comes in. Uh, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So that's the first part of breaking free from any spirit of bondage is, is confessing your sins, finding a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ and saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm really struggling in this area. I want to confess that to you and have you agree in prayer with me. That's a great way right there to begin that process of freedom. But I also want to say this to you. In Matthew 17, 21, it says, This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, it's unclear to me whether the this kind that Jesus was talking about here is this kind of doubt and unbelief that he, was refer, uh, that he referred to earlier in that same chapter or whether it's the kind of demon that he cast out of a young boy in that particular passage. And actually, we were discussing this um, a couple of weeks ago on our uh, Foundations of the Faith class. And Steve Fries made a great point. He said, actually, it could be both. I went, I never thought about that before. It could actually be referring to both. Both a spirit and both doubt and unbelief. I thought that was a really great insight there. Um, so, and actually, um, James 5.16, again, that's where the concept of an accountability partner comes from. So getting with somebody and just letting them be your, a confident and praying with you and for you. But also prayer and fasting 
can really help these areas of bondage that you might find yourself in. Prayer and extended fasting. Well, what about the fears and phobias that we mentioned just a moment ago? Well, that's related to the next spirit that we're going to talk about this morning, and that's the spirit of fear that's mentioned in 2 Timothy 1.7. And it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Listen, we've been given the spirit of power, but there can be a spirit of fear that tries to come on us and dominate us and influence us. Uh, I'm going to read to you just, this is kind of a long list, but I'm just going to bullet point these really fast and not go into any great detail on any one. But the manifestations under the spirit of fear are these, fears and phobias, and I've got your scripture references beside each one of these. Fears and phobias, fainting because of fear, and heart attacks because of the same. the, The Bible tells us that in the last days, men's hearts will fail them because of the fear that comes on them, because of the things that are happening in the world. Uh, torment and horror, nightmares, terrors. By the way, can I say something really quick? That torment and horror, um, that just that reminds me of something. Uh, that's why I don't think you ought to be exposing yourself to horror movies. Okay, I think those are, de- no, I don't think, I know. Those are demonic. Don't expose, don't have a relationship with that sort of thing. Okay, don't entertain yourself with somebody getting slaughtered. Okay, that's not entertainment. That's, that's it's just plain demonic is all that is. Okay, to plant stuff in your head. Anyway. Okay, torment and horror, nightmares, terrors, anxiety, stress and worry, fear of death, distrust and paranoia, fear, intimidation of people, and cowardice. All right, now, once again, I want to give you a little bit of uh, example of how, how this works. So some of you don't know that Donna and I have a son named Luke who lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Some of you have never met him. When he was a boy, we took him and our daughter Hannah, who's right over here, um, when they were little, we took both of them on a Disney cruise. And when we got home from that cruise, all of a sudden, Luke, who was probably about 10 years old at the time, give or take, all of a sudden was afraid to sleep in his own room by himself. And he had never had a problem with that before. I mean, seriously, from day one coming home from the hospital, that kid slept all the way through the night, was not afraid of the dark, was not afraid to be in a room by himself since day one coming home from the hospital. He'd never had a problem with that before until we came home from that Disney cruise. So we thought it was just kind of a temporary thing, but it went on and on and on Every single night for two weeks, he was waking up in the middle of the night, scared, and running to our room. So pretty soon we recognized what was happening. It dawned on us that somehow something dark had attached itself to him while we were on that ship. So Donna and I laid hands on him, prayed for him, anointed him with oil, and had him repeat a prayer of repentance for agreeing with that spirit of fear. Then we took authority over that thing, cast it off of him, and commanded it to leave him in Jesus' name. And that very night, he slept just fine, and he never had a problem with it again. Now, I didn't say that Luke was demon-possessed, but I do believe that there was something that was harassing him. 
And by the way, I can think of at least two examples in the scriptures. I already gave you one in Matthew 17, uh, where Jesus said that this kind comes out not by, except by prayer and fasting. He was referring to that, that young boy that had an epileptic seizure. Uh, uh, he had these seizures consistently would throw him into the fire, throw him into the water and try to kill him. Okay, so the, there's at least two examples in scriptures that I can think of where demons tormented children. Children. See, in, in our son Luke's case, somehow a dark spirit had found an opening. And I, I don't know what that opening was. I don't know where it, that came from or how that happened. But we dealt with it swiftly and by Jesus' authority, and it left. So while many people in the body of Christ today seem to scorn the idea of casting demons off of people, all I can tell you is what our experience was, and this worked for us. It set our son free. Now, by the way, another manifestation of that spirit of fear is paralyzing shyness. If someone has a, a paralyzing shyness where they can't even look people in the eye, they, I mean, interaction, social interaction is like just the bane of their existence, that could be a spirit of fear. And I want to focus on this one. There's a bunch on here, but I want to focus on this one. Anxiety, stress, and worry for a moment. All right, I want to read to you Matthew chapter 6. The Bible has a lot to say about this. This is Jesus speaking in his Sermon on the Mount. And he said, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall, I, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, meaning the monetary things that you need to live, all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, here he says it again, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Now, by the way, let me show you what the medical science is saying about worry and fear. Uh, this is out of Northwestern Medicine. I found this uh, article called Five Things You Never Knew About Fear. And one of the little sections that I've taken out of that article is the heading, Fear Can Make You Foggy, meaning... Your, your brain can make your brain foggy. Let's see what it says. As some parts of your brain are revving up, this means when fear is induced, is what it's talking about. As some parts of your brain are revving up, others are shutting down. When the amygdala senses fear, the cerebral cortex, which is the area of the brain that harnesses reasoning and judgment, becomes impaired. So now it's difficult to make good decisions or think clearly. In other words, what the medical science is saying is that when you're in fear, you, you don't think right. See, you can't possibly be in faith when you're in fear because the, the parts of your brain that allow you to think deeply shut down. See, when you're in survival mode, folks, you can't make rational choices. All you can do is react. And that's not faith, and it's not intelligent. This is why, by the way, fear is used to control people. All right, so let me again refer to the medical science on this point. I found this out of the National Library of Medicine. Look at the title of this article, and this was just um, in, what year was this? Um, 2021. The role of fear in modern societies. Let's read what it says. This is not political. This is 
the science. This is a medical science, but look at what it says. The COVID-19 pandemic highlights how our ancient fear response can be exploited for nefarious purposes with social media lending a helping hand. Hmm. They go on to say, the COVID-19 pandemic has underscored more than any previous crisis how fear can be exploited by multiple actors from outright conspiracy theorists with pernicious agendas to governments seeking to maximize public compliance with lockdowns and social distancing. They go on. The crisis has also given new urgency to the debate over how to handle fake news. The National Library of Medicine is acknowledging there's fake news out there. The crisis has also given new urgency to the debate over how to handle fake news and its rapid propagation over social media, as well as the part science should, be, should play in leading and supporting government's decisions. Point being, fear is used to control people. Why is that so effective? Because when you're in fear, the frontal lobe of the brain, which controls reasoning and critical thinking, shuts down. And all you're doing is reacting. And that's not faith, and that's not intelligent. See, because Isaiah 43.1 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Hallelujah. Well, how do we deal then with the spirit of fear or any spirit when they're trying to harass us? Well, as I said, we can take authority over those spirits and and command them to leave. But then there's some practical instructions on this point about fear, the spirit of fear. There's some practical instructions from the word of God that we also have to obey. So let me read to you out of Philippians uh, 4, verses 4 through 8. Again, a little bit of a longer reading here, so bear with me. There's a lot of instruction here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be apparent to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for a few things. Be anxious for nothing except for your children. Be anxious for nothing except for your finances. No, no. Be anxious for nothing But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable... Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. So listen, what's, your, what's the practical instruction here? I've got, there's five to-dos in that passage. Let's look at them. The first one is rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Look, rejoicing involves being enthusiastic in praise and worship. Listen, when we do praise and worship, it's not just a warm-up to the sermon. You've heard, that, you've heard me say that many times. It's not just a warm-up to the sermon. You're, you're, we're being strategic. Praise and worship is a weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. Rejoice in the Lord always, and he goes on to say it again, rejoice. The second instruction is to be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. It says don't be anxious. The third one is thanksgiving, which is related to the rejoice part. 
We have to be thankful for what God has done for us and what he will do. Therefore, rejoice and be thankful. The fourth instruction is to present your request to God. Yes, it's okay to present your request to God. God wants you to do that. He tells you to do that. And then fifthly, think on these things. What things? Things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that's what you think on. You fill your mind, you occupy your mind, and you discipline your mind to think on these things. And that's why, folks, listen, I, I've had to come to the point where, like, I just can't watch the news anymore. I, I can't even do Facebook very much anymore because it's like every other thing I see I come across my Facebook feed. It's like this horrible thing that the government's doing. And it's like, you know what? I don't, I don't have any control over the chemtrails, right? I can't control that, right? So, I mean, just like in certain things, not all, I think we ought to be involved in political things. I think the Christians need to get involved in political things. But there are some things, I just don't have time for everything. And there's some things that's like, I can't, there's no way I can control that anyway. So why not focus on the good things and be at peace? Be at peace. There are certain things that's like ignorance is bliss. Right? I mean, when somebody started, first talked to me about chemtrails, I went, all right, come on. And I started looking into it a little bit more, and I'm like, oh, yikes. It's like, okay, all right, I can't, I can't think about that, right? Pray, exactly. All right, now, let me just give you a little bit of insight about dealing with any demonic spirit. The two that we've talked about today, the spirit of bondage, the spirit of fear, but this is also how to deal with any demonic spirit. This is out of the book of Acts, chapter 16, um, uh, occurrence with the apostle Paul in his ministry. So it says this, one day... As we were going to a place of prayer, who's we? This is the, the uh, young man, Luke, that's writing this. He's talking about he and Paul. One day as we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl with a spirit of divination. Remember we talked about that one in our first teaching in this series, a spirit of divination? That's what she was doing. Um, met by a slave girl with a spirit of divination who earned a large income for her masters by fortune-telling which is, again, demonic. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are the servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, we don't know if she was maybe doing it in a mocking way. The Bible doesn't really tell us. That may very well be what she was doing, just kind of mocking them and being sarcastic about it. Or perhaps she was just well-meaning, but was just being obnoxious. And how many of you know that somebody who was just consistently obnoxious probably had as a spirit as, that's driving them as well? Okay. So anyway, let's read on. She continued this for many days. Eventually, Paul grew so aggravated that he turned and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And the spirit left her at that very moment. That's what happened with what we did with Drew. Just commanded that thing to come out of him. Drew. Luke. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes uh, Drew has kind of gotten used to me saying uh, Drew Luke or, you know, I combine their names sometimes. That, has any other parents ever done that? 
And now, Julie, don't raise your hand. You've got one child. You... <laughs> okay. Oh, so you sometimes you call your husband by your son's name. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Oh, your dog. <laughs> your dog. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, at, at least I know I'm in good company. Yes, this is what we did with Luke when he had that issue that I described to you. We just took authority over that thing, commanded him to leave, and uh, had him pray a prayer of repentance for agreeing with that spirit, and boom, it was gone. Never bothered him again. He never had a problem with that again. Praise God. And I want to refer to Luke 10, 19 on that point, which gives us a great promise. It says, Behold, I give you, Jesus said, the authority... See, he's delegating his authority to us. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you if you know how to use that authority. Now listen, folks, one important point here and one important takeaway that I want to mention today is that you can't have authority over the forces of darkness as long as you're submitting to them. If you're living outside of the will of God, on purpose, in any area of your life, you have no authority over Satan because he's exercising his authority over you and you're submitting to him. I think as of last week, we talked about the perverse spirit. That's one of the spirits that are listed in the, in the Bible, a perverse spirit. What's some of the manifestations of the perverse spirit again? Well, sex outside of marriage or any, other, any of the other kinds of perversities that we looked at last week. If you're participating in any of that on any regular basis, you have no authority whatsoever over Satan because you're submitting to him every day. And he has authority over you. He doesn't, he doesn't, really, he doesn't really have authority, but you're giving it to him. See, Jesus delegated his authority to you, and you've given it right back to Satan as long as you're living outside the will of God. Is this making sense? So let me make sure that our focus is in the right place today as we come down home stretch in this teaching. Listen, you and I have no power over the devil ourselves apart from Christ. Every bit of power that we exert over the kingdom of darkness is because of Jesus Christ alone and the authority that he's delegated to us. So... I want to start to come down home stretch here by quoting uh, Derek Prince in his book, They Shall Expel Demons. Derek Prince was a British minister. He's going to be with the Lord now. But, man, he was an expert in the demonic. And he said this. Listen really closely. Pay attention real closely to this. I discovered in experience that our authority over demons is derived solely from the victory Jesus won for us by his shed blood, his death, and his victorious resurrection. Through many personal encounters with demons, I have learned that they are not impressed by religious terminology. They scorn denominational labels or ecclesiastical status. But when we use the name of Jesus and boldly affirm the words of Scripture that declare his victory won on the cross 
and the unchallengeable righteousness we have received from him by faith, then their arrogance and viciousness melt away. They begin to act like the contemptible creatures they truly are. And we witness a fulfillment of Revelation 12, 11, which tells us that the believers overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So I'll start to come down home stretch here by saying that as intimidating as Satan likes to make himself out to be, the truth is, folks, he's already defeated. Yet it's clear that there's this kind of guerrilla warfare that goes on. And and we Christians have to exercise dominion on the earth. So one of Satan's biggest fears is Christians who understand their authority and who know how to use it against him to advance God's kingdom. So I want to do a little recap and then we're going to do a time of ministry. So here's our wrap up. This morning, just want to revisit three points real quick, just to make sure that you understand kind of the the overarching takeaways from today's teaching. The first one is this. We are commanded, not suggested, we are commanded to do the works Jesus did in John 14, 12, which includes helping people get free of demonic influence and harassment. It's also part of the Great Commission in Luke 16. And secondly, success in this area will be be determined partly by our close fellowship with Jesus and understanding the authority that he has delegated to us because spiritual predators always prey on the weak or unaware, according to the master text that we read this morning, 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. And by the way, folks, I want to say this before I give you the third and final one. Um, Listen. Authority over demons is not just something for the super Christians, the pastors or the evangelists, or it's for everybody. It's for everybody because you all have the Holy Spirit within you and you've all been given that great commission. That's for all of us. Okay. Thirdly and finally, spirits of bondage and spirits of fear, which are the two that we dealt with this morning, are very real and will control you and your loved ones if you let them. Don't let them. We have the authority in Christ to trample them, according to Luke 10, 19. So what I'd like to do, um, Steve, could you come up and man the piano here for a moment? Because I want to have a little bit of ministry time. And here's what we're going to do. We're, we're not going to, um, we're not going to like just prolong this. As a matter of fact, here's what I propose doing. Um, if there's anybody in the room today who has dealt with a spirit of fear, you, based upon the description that I gave you this morning, if you feel like it's a spirit okay, that controls you, based upon what you learned this morning, um, then we're going to give you the opportunity to be prayed with and prayed for and to get free of that thing. And likewise, that spirit of bondage in any area, compulsive behavior, addictions, um, um, bondage to to sin patterns, any of that. If there's anybody in the room that struggles with any of those things, I can't just leave this and not address those things.
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.